So, welcome to When Belief Dies, episode two. All right, Sam. Hello. Good to see you. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at the church, or discussing the church, um, having a look at both the what the Bible says about church and then what we see in the world and how that has, and our experience of that, and how that has had an impact on our belief um, and what we believe and what we don't. Um, so, both of us have had um, varying degrees of involvement in church and with Sam we've um, different level of leadership different levels of involvement in the sense of how long you know our lives we spent Sam grew up in church and has stayed in church until now haven't you um, whereas yeah. I grew up in church and then stopped for a fair while and then came back when I was a bit older so the, both for both of us it's had a significant role in our lives and we wanted to explore the impact of that and the, what the impact that's had on our beliefs our worldview and the way we've lived our lives and so that's the main focus of today's episode is asking questions and then for you as a listener we want you to consider these questions and apply them to yourself and your own church and so consider the church you attend um, how does it mirror against the bible and how does it mirror against what jesus spoke about and in turn how that has an impact on those who attend or those who don't attend and those who are influenced by it and what that essentially means to your belief and how much your belief is founded on church and how much your belief is founded on Jesus and go from there. So for me, church has always been, um, I coined the phrase, the main theatre of doubt for my faith, because it's the place where, as I explained in the previous episode, where most of the questions came from and the seeing how people acted and their stance and decision making compared to the Bible and what Jesus taught and how essentially um, both the organization of the church and individuals within church are still incredibly self-focused despite the gospels talking about selflessness and laying yourself down and everyone's attitudes as i said before not on big things but on small things like where you live and house purchasing and jobs and friends was all based upon self and self-interest rather than jesus teaching about laying everything down so therefore church has always been this um, really apparent and obvious fault with Christianity um, and again I'm a massive hypocrite I'm not going to say the way like I'm being a hypocrite so I claim to be a Christian yet most of my decision making is based on me um, and so me <laughs> seeing this problem with the church actually reflects back on me and makes me realize that where is my belief um, so and for Sam um, the church was essentially you said yourself for the last what year it's been kind of a source of distraction from all the questions yeah. the doubts <clears throat> There was a drive to do more, a uh, drive to be more involved and help others get involved, uh, essentially as a coping mechanism to try and quiet the discord in your mind. The idea that if you can shift the focus on doing and being and getting involved, then that will surely lead to God rescuing you, presenting himself, showing himself, answering those questions by getting deeper involved in the thing that is meant to be Jesus's body on earth, essentially, isn't it? Um, yeah. would, that, would that be fair, Sam? I think so. Yeah, I think you've summed it up nicely. Um, it's been it's been a few years, um, like the last year actually in church leadership itself. But yeah, been in quite a few years of um, having doubts, getting stuck in, pushing further in, uh, blind belief, and then um, yeah, to, to where we are today. So yeah, well well summarised. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so um, the episode itself is not meant to like attack churches or individual churches, but to raise questions for our and to answer them ourselves, but also to raise questions for you, the listener, as I said earlier, to consider and think about, yeah, is, is church really a true reflection of what Christianity should be? Uh, it doesn't mean that we're not going to not flag up obvious failings or 
um, not call things out in like some attempt to be tolerant because it remains that lots of failings of especially church but lots of social groupings are masked by the fact that people who attend or are involved don't want to uh, speak them out in like a sense of loyalty or um, a fear of reprisals or even under again it's a modern church term this guise of honoring leaders um, that's often used as a sort of blanket statement so leadership can get away with quite a lot because this idea of honoring a leader is never calling into question their authority, their integrity, or never questioning their actions or their lifestyles, because that isn't honoring. And so that we're not going to do that, um, but we are not intending to attack churches or individual, an individual church specifically, even if they are using an example. Um, so before we get into that, there was a couple of questions we had from last time that we wanted to, well, I wanted to ask Sam uh, from his story. Hmm. Um, and uh, it was it was around your story of where you are now, Sam, and I forgot to write them down at the time, so we're asking them now. And the first one then is it was this question around I had around you spoke about uh, at least not in the most recent church startup, as it were, that you've been involved in, but previously <laughs> this feeling of well, maybe it's the corner. So instead of church planting, it should be church startups. Um, it probably like a couple of years be massively on trend. What's this space? Um, how much of your uh, unbelief, doubt, etc., linked to a potential disappointment with your lack of opportunity to do what you felt was your calling? We spoke before, didn't we? How you would have felt calling to teach the word of God, and then you also spoke of how there didn't seem to be a lot of opportunity to do that. So I wanted to ask how much of your beginning to doubt and potential uh, doubting of the structure led to like was through bitterness that led to you questioning things. If bit of an open one, but what do you think? Yeah, it's good. I think um, yeah, I think it's important to understand. So basically, kind of how much um, disappointment and bitterness um, did I have, and how much did that affect my decision to um, yeah to leave Christianity, I guess, and to and to move away from a from a church based belief. So yeah, that's a really good question. Um, something that I've been thinking about a lot really is it's my disappointment and my bitterness and my hope for what I was going to achieve in church that has meant that I have left church. And I think you talk to anyone around me at the moment who, and I'm talking about my beliefs and my struggles and my questions, you definitely get a sense of kind of um, cynicism or um, regret or bitterness. And I think that it's part of the journey, but I don't think it's necessarily the whole, the whole sum. Um, as you know, um, I, you know, have opinions and ideas and all those sorts of things. And that means that when someone comes to me and says, you know, oh, I'm praying for a miracle or I'm praying that you'll find your faith again or, or whatever it is, there's a level of cynicism that I have towards those hopes and those desires. And um, I think the bitterness and the disappointment that we are talking about in regards to church and my leaving of the faith, um, yeah, are definitely part of it, but not everything. So I would say I I was in a position in church where within realistically within the next kind of couple of years, I would have become an elder at the church. So I would have been kind of recognized as a as a father figure. So I was on the leadership team doing all leading, all the leading jobs, like you know, saying hi to people, welcoming people, hosting the meeting, preaching, whatever, all the leader jobs. Um but within the next couple of years, I, I would have become, probably within a year, I would have become an, an elder of this church. And this church, eldership is the highest position, if you like. It's like the, um, the the top fathering position where you are involved with all the core decisions and you're leading marriages and funerals and all those sorts of things. Um, and realistically, I was on the road to, to becoming that. And I would, 
within 10 years, quite possibly, of being in a paid position of that as well. So at the moment, I've got a job uh, which pays all my bills. And then kind of the leadership of the church was my real calling, which was above my job. But my job's the thing that actually paid the money. Um, and yeah, eventually, the kind of the thing that was above my job, the, this eldership and leadership would have become paid. And I could have just carried on doing what I'm doing and watched the church grow and stepped into quite a nice and comfortable position here where I live. Um, it wasn't through bitterness that that stopped or regret or hopes of what could have been. It was very much a realisation that I don't believe what I'm talking about and that isn't okay. It's, it goes back to the thing we talked about last episode about serve or lie. Like I'm happy to serve and even that's under question at the moment, but I'm not happy to lie. Um, I don't want to get up and say the wrong thing and, and pretend basically. And that's where this kind of decisions come from um, around the leadership stuff. So there is definitely bitterness and disappointment. I'm, I'm disappointed that it, I don't think it's true. And I'm bitter that it isn't true as far as I can tell. Uh, I'm disappointed that I'm not going to be able to lead these, these people into God's presence and teach and grow and encourage them in their faith. Uh, like some of my biggest heroes, you know, C.S. Lewis, N.T. Wright, people that I've admired for most of my adult life have done. Um, one being dead and one being still doing it, just I think he's 70 something. Um, I'm not going to be that. And that's really hard. I'm disappointed to bitter about that. Um, but that doesn't mean that's why I left. So how do you think that's commonplace? Do you think there's a place for church leaders to raise these sort of concerns? So I imagine there's a, a huge pressure if you're a church, in church leadership of any significance to raise doubts because um, if you're in the normal attendees, congregants, whatever, then it's much more, much, much more acceptable. Would you suggest or would you think that this is a, a wider thing within church leadership and there isn't the right forum or place to be able to express this? It's really good. I've talked to three church leaders now, uh, all, you know, really strong believers in Christ and leading big, big, biggest churches. And all of them, when I tell them that I'm doubting and we they, they all want to get into the why I'm doubting and uh, I kind of explain to them. There's usually two paths people take when I tell them I'm doubting. There's a path of it must be really hard for you or isn't that amazing? I'm going to sit with you in the journey or there's a challenge to work out exactly what it was, pinpoint it and deal with it. Now, church leaders tend to want to pinpoint it and deal with it because that's what you have to do within, a, within your flock or whatever. You've got to understand the issue so you can deal with the issue effectively and well. And I've noticed that a lot of church, that all these three church leaders that I've spoken to have instantly jumped to stuff like morality, uh, purpose, uh, meaning, like what's our meaning to existence? Like they all always jump to those things and they just throw away lines such as like you can never stand on anything because you have no way of justifying hope. You have no way of justifying morality. Like there's just a blanket. God is the answer to everything. And, and specifically my God is the answer to everything. And because you don't have a God, you have nothing to stand upon for these areas. Um, so, yeah, I think there is a massive issue with doubt within church leadership because if you start to doubt um, the only thing you can turn to is podcasts, YouTube videos, books. You can talk to very, very close friends, but you can't say, like I was told when I first started talking about my doubts and my leader, like don't tell anybody at church because they'll just start doubting as well. I'm like, oh man, that's such a hard situation to be in where you aren't allowed to discuss the very thing you're doubting with. And then 
I've just spoken to my church leader. I'm now allowed to tell anybody I want about it. But that's because he's gone away and spoken to the people that really matter about it. So there's this like they've almost prepared the ground for my doubts to become acceptable. Yeah. And I just I don't think, yeah, I don't think within churches and leadership there is the correct settings for doubt to be an acceptable thing. Basically because I think everyone doubts or they have blind belief. And if they have blind belief, then they're going to just tell you that there's nothing you can base your life on uh, because they have based everything in their life upon their religious beliefs. Uh, there's just no way of getting around that. So, yeah, it, it's really hard. And I'm always really, really shocked at how uh, militant and how brutal church, the three church leaders I spoke to have been around those those big subjects where I have no basis now. Like I keep saying to them, I don't have any answers. I've got tons of questions. And they're saying, well, there aren't any answers, basically. There are no answers to your questions. I'm like, OK, well, that's, you know, I can't argue with them can't fight that that's, that's their viewpoint but i think they use those arguments on themselves like oh come on you must believe this you believe that your children have purpose and your children are worth something you must believe this you believe that there is reality and whatever all these different things that you can't have without a, a foundation of god so they they use these arguments on themselves without ever as far as i'm aware ever actually going in and investigating and asking the questions which is where i fell down so that's maybe why they don't do that um but yeah so do you think that um do you think the the way church works, not just in the leadership sense, but allows doubt full stop? Like, given, do you think there is the actual sort of structure and environment of church stops the ability for people to honestly question things? As you said, there, there's there's an awful lot of questions, not any answers. Do you think that the the setup itself um, negates the ability to truly question things? It's good. I think that doubt is frowned upon massively within church. So we might have areas of tension, whereas someone might believe homosexuality is right and fine within a Christian lifestyle. Someone else might say it's wrong within a Christian lifestyle. Um, so that's an area of tension. It's not necessarily doubting God's goodness or doubting you know, the, fa- the fundamental yeah. scriptures or whatever. Um, I think doubt is viewed basically negatively. Um, I believe it's the Gospel of John, but I'm very happy to be wrong where um, you have the doubting Thomas section. Um, anyway. Which, whichever gospel it's in, there's a, there's, a, there's a doubting Thomas section. And everyone talks about doubting Thomas. Don't be a doubter, a doubter's bad, blah, 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 blah. But they negate to mention like two or three chapters before that. Thomas is the one saying, come on, we're going to go together and we're going to basically like, you know, destroy them and, and wipe them out. And like, he's really much like, we're going to go, 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 go. And um, we never talk about Thomas's ability to be courageous and upfront and excited. But we always talk about this stuff how he's doubting, how he didn't believe until he actually managed to put his hand into his side and saw the wounds and the crown of thorns mark and all that sort of stuff. Um, I just think that the, the, the Bible paints an, an idea of, of, of uh, belief where it's, it's cons- con- complete consuming belief um, and doubt in those things means that you aren't in almost. I'm not saying that's what it definitely says, but it feels like if you start doubting, where, where does that line stop? You're going to fall down and that's it. So, yeah. Do you think that is an actual biblical truth? In, I use truth in the sense that that's what the Bible actually says and depicts. Or do you think that is modern churches take on what the Bible says? I use the example of, well, Darren Thomas is a great example. So one of the disciples of Christ is depicted as doubting the resurrection in the texts. And they're written generation after the time. So that the writer deliberately put that in. And also yeah. you think of the Psalms, which loads of the psalms are lamenting god being distant or abandoned or whatnot and you have jesus himself saying god why have you abandoned me on the cross so do you think from that the bible is actually quite open to the idea of doubt being unsure but the church isn't 
Yeah, I think potentially, I think you've got to remember about Darren Thomas is um, Jesus something, <laughs> massive paraphrase here, something along the lines of, you know, um, you believe because you saw, but blessed is he who believes that, that did not see or yeah. so, something like that. So it feels like it yeah. was written and that verse had been put there to encourage people who are doubting because they will never literally see it, that they need to believe regardless of if they've seen it or not, because they're more blessed than Thomas is, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples. Um so I think that could be quite a good argument for no, actually the Bible is saying doubt's bad. Um, I, interestingly, I think if you look at first century um, Israel and you look at the Greco-Roman society as well as the Jewish society, um, you will see schools of Pharisees, Sadducees, whoever, who are who will be under, there'll be different subsections in those schools, but there'll be, uh, each subsection will be under like a head pharisaical teacher. Yeah. And that pharisaical teacher will basically pull apart a bit of scripture and they'll talk about the ideas, they'll talk about the different uh, contexts, the different things it could mean. And then that group of people will all kind of debate it, discuss it and formulate an idea and they'll spread that around. Um, so this is really common. I think like I think it's Daniel seven is quite a famous uh, messianic <clears throat> messianic text yeah. that is referred to quite a lot in the New Testament. And actually, that was, from what we can tell, one of the texts that was under heavy criticism and discussion of the day. So I think the actual schools that I think the Christianity then flows out from um, the yeah the, the Jewish schools basically were very happy to rip things apart, talk about things, discuss things, come to different understandings and ideas, doubt those, potentially doubt those scriptures. I don't think they ever doubted that it was God inspired and God breathed uh, in, in regards to, you know, Yahweh has given us these texts for us to, you know, hear his voice and what he has to say. Um, so I think doubt comes when you have a specific historical event that you need to believe happened. Otherwise, you don't get into heaven or hell. I think that probably comes later on but i think people were still doubting it very very early on i think the doubt in regards to you know what's this text actually mean what's it saying but still holding a firm belief in yahweh is absolutely fine so i think there's two things going on within within scripture itself there seem to be yeah, much more openness to not agreeing or not knowing the answers and on that it seems that there is a great fear in church which you mentioned before like what if people know you're doubting then people will doubt themselves as if that's a really bad thing like the idea that you you yeah. question your belief is a bad thing and I, I've, I've noticed that even um just raising questions it's like there is a it's almost the perspective or what people think or how people react to suddenly shifts it's like, oh, you, you, it's almost like a taboo, like um, to question or, or doubt things is a taboo within Christianity, which is really interesting. Um, and yeah, I, I don't particularly enjoy that <laughs> because how do you really know what you believe until you question it and decide? And how do you question and decide if you're not allowed to question and decide? Um, it's, it's very institutional group think, group dynamics, isn't it? It's like you have to agree this, this and this to be part of the club. If you don't yeah. have these four things, for example, you're then allowed. you're not allowed. Yeah, if you if you miss one, no, you can't you can't be on board. Um, 
I think like if that's even that's even the way we look at the different flavors of churches. I'm aware of where this conversation is going to is, is we will see different flavors and ideas. So you know, talking in tongues is that right or is that wrong? Healing is that for today or is that not for today? Kind of like how God moves, how God speaks, like everything within our belief system. A different church have a very different interpretation of that. I think that's one of the amazing things about the early church is they were trying to figure these things out, and I don't think they went right. This is this is the list of you know. Like, as I said before, you know, having answers and questions and marrying them up and placing them down. I don't think the early church is trying to do that about a lot of these things. I think they're wrestling with and trying to understand. I and mean, you can even see it within Paul's letters. He starts talking off and it's almost like Christ is going to return at any moment. And then towards the end of his letters, you're seeing much more of a kind of, oh, he's not returning when we thought he was going to return. What does that mean for the outworking of Christianity? I think you even see Paul basically resting with these different ideas and, and trying to work out how they come together. Um, but we, we as humans, like it's, it's almost, I mentioned this the other day, someone, it's almost like we want to get to the end of the maze and have landed on the answer to stuff rather than actually being in the maze, trying to figure it out and work with, you know, with God, if you believe in God or other people, if you believe that other people can help, but trying to work these things out, out yourself. Um, yeah. So do you think that again, because a lot of the point of this conversation and ongoing episodes is, why we think what we think and challenging people to think themselves do you think the lack of answers and the almost hostile reaction to questions and doubt helped or exacerbated the like move towards agnosticism or unbelief or disbelief for me um yeah i think so i think i am um, lived most of my life in the 21st century i um you know Got, I have a degree. I love questions. I love reading academic books. Like, there's so many different things that kind of go into what makes me me. And um, not that I expect the Bible or Christianity to give me 21st century postmodern answers to the questions that we have today in a scientific fashion that fix everything. Like, I don't actually expect it to do that because it's not written to do that. But what I do expect is God is real and He is living and He is true and He is in His people and He is breathing among us and he's talking to us in communion with us and we're seeing him work today as he worked back then which is what i've been raised and in church told is true i expect to be able to see that within the world as as, as it is now not to be able to answer everything that i see with realistic kind of rational human facts like you know we give money to church to help the church but we also give money because it makes us feel better and there, there are loads of ways to justify that um so i think yeah the fact that i can't ask questions and I cannot, I cannot be a, a, an, an elder if I think that, you know, in the church I was in, if I think that homosexuality, like practicing homosexuality is okay for somebody who's in a position of uh, leadership. So it could be leading the worship team or, or whatever, but they cannot be a practicing homosexual and do that. If I believe that them being a practicing homosexuality, uh, practicing homosexual and leading the worship team is okay, I can't be a church leader. So there is a list of criteria that you have to hit to be able to get into leadership within a certain form of church, unless you start up your own church. Um, and then you can just basically formulate whatever you want to have as your list of rules and regulations to actually be able to act upon because people want answers. Um, and the fact that we aren't happy to settle and go, we do not have the answer to these questions. It's massive. And I think that's a, part, a, bit, a big part of my blog and a big part of my, my entire journey is being like, if, if God is real and if God is true, I mentioned this before, he should not look at me going, I want to literally know what is right and wrong and what is real and what is not real. And if you are there, I want to seek, uh, search you and seek you out and try and understand who you are. Um, and yes, you have the texts, and I believe the texts say quite a lot. I also think they're quite 
flawed and broken and mistaken as well. Um, and I don't think that was a big issue to the first century Christians, but it's a massive issue to us. Like, if I must turn around to you and say, like, you know, these four books are just wrong, or these sections should not be in there, or I don't believe that the Bible is the moral, you know, bar that we should set our entire lives by. That will blow people's minds and make them think that I can never talk to anybody about Christianity with having like some sort of substantiated throne to tell them about it if that makes sense like it's it's just it rips it all apart um i could keep talking forever so i'm gonna i need, to, right. I need to ask you some questions eventually um it reminds me we, we spoke before didn't we how there seems that we could happily be wrong because there are plenty of intellectual intelligent people who are christians but from experience the more if you try to come towards god in, in an intellectual manner people seem to fail like yeah. more questions you ask the more you learn about the world and things it seems to negate belief in god quite commonly and that's a concern to me because we, we spoke before hadn't didn't we how you would hope that again if, if god is all-encompassing all-powerful and creates everyone individually so he can come to them you can come to him as you are which is all the language used in church um but if you come at God intellectually and ask intellectual questions, there's often no answers and often leaves you wanting. Whereas if you come to God, again, often church model of feelings, emotions, like how do you feel? Do you feel the presence of God? Do you, um, can you hear what he's saying about you personally? Like, do you feel treasured? All this sort of language. I mean, lots of people come to God for that way. But if you come to yeah. God as like, oh, so... What does the Bible say? How reliable is the Bible? How do we know who wrote it? How do we know if that's reliable? Is it historically yeah. accurate? Um, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. It seems to lead people away from God often, which is quite a concern if a whole as you said, a Massive. grouping of humanity who are intellectually leaning. Um, and also, interesting, our society in the West is an intellectual society. Yeah. And we have now have a massively dwindling church population linked with you can't be, well, you can, but it's struggling to be an intellectually minded person and come to God or stay with God or church. Uh, we, we both discussed how that's quite a, a challenging thought process, isn't it? Um, yeah. And a question for you, um, which I think is, is interesting, is, you know, if, if the Bible's written at a time period, like I mentioned in the first century, um, Judo-Christian maybe, but definitely Jewish uh, time period, um, where asking questions about text is absolutely fine having doubts and different issues and and believing Yahweh exists is probably the one thing they everyone agreed on but having other things i mean some people didn't but the one thing that the jewish different jewish sects believed in having disagreements about everything else if that was acceptable then how did we get to a point where we have this book which is we cannot question it and we cannot think it's wrong like what how how, how do you think a book came from that time period out of that time period and and and, and what does that mean i mean my unstudied answer to this because just me yeah i think the fact it became a book as soon as you put covers on something you limit it um as yeah soon, as soon as there's a front, front and rear cover you've enclosed the narrative and suddenly there is a debate and a decision around what is in those two covers what stays in there what is allowed in what isn't um and i understand the reasoning behind the books being there um but it raises questions so one of the common things in the New Testament books was its relationship to an apostolistic um, ownership or authorship, wasn't it? Yeah. But now everyone agrees that Hebrews was not written by Paul and have done for ages. <laughs> so yeah. should we keep Hebrews in the Bible when we know it isn't written by Paul? And the only reason it was kept in originally is because people thought it was written by Paul, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but that, so that raises a question. It's like, okay, so it wasn't written by the person we thought it was. So is it authoritative? Yeah. 
And, and uh, most people would say sorry, yeah. Karen. Um, and to Peter, and most people agree, wasn't written by Peter. One Peter debates, but two Peter not written by Peter. So again, it's not an apostolistic book. So therefore, should it be kept in the Bible? Um, so I think it's it's interesting that yeah, you have this, and I think it is the cover thing. You you a religion starts, faith starts, people start to canonize it, and then there is ownership and uh, desire to keep it within those covers and the decisions around what is and what isn't now. And as soon as you do that, you it's almost like a great metaphor for Christianity itself. It's like you put covers on it and therefore you're in, you're out. We agree with you. We don't agree with you. You're not in our club. Um, which, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic because you now, to be a church leader, you in most churches you have to believe in the Bible, which is a really weird thing isn't it because what you're actually saying is you need to believe in the library people would forget it's the library of books like it becomes this edifice in itself um it's often joked of like your your right-wing conservative christians in america that they believe in god the father the son and the holy bible um rather than <laughs> spirit um like john MacArthur is a great example um and yes yeah, so as soon as you have that you suddenly have this real ownership and the need to protect this thing and i think that leads into um that extends further into the church you need to You've joined the club and these are the rules. The rules are this is the legit and anything outside of that, you're dangerous. And I think that that's, that's not a church thing, that's a human thing. But I think the church is a really um, good example of it because it's meant, it's meant to be um, loving and kind and understanding. And historically, Judaism, as we said, is a religion of debate and questioning and queries. And I mean, even Israel itself means those who wrestle with God like these who struggle or wrestle with God and the concept of God and yeah we seem to lose that you know wrestling with the concept of God is is immediately seen as questioning undermining the church um and you know, what you pointed to don't say anything to people because other people start doubting as if that's again a bad thing like it's like well so what so you don't want the people who come to your church to question everything you want the people in your church to follow everything you say that's that's a cult <laughs> right there like there's no two ways about that yeah that's who doesn't want things they say or do to be questioned you have a cult a cult doesn't yeah. have to be a small little group of people in midwestern america who <laughs> take drugs and sleep with each other like a cult is any situation where people will not question um the leader i mean national socialism in germany was a, a cult of personality wasn't it like the communist regime in, in russia was a cult of personality so yeah, I find the fact that questioning, doubting, probing in lots of areas is seen as negative and that exacerbates this groupthink cult. It is a cultish behaviour. Even though not necessarily in churches are cults, but when you start veering into that, then you are falling into that regime. It's like ultimate authority on these group of people and you can't question them and they're always right. Again, it's like the papacy. <laughs> like it's the same thing, isn't it? So... Mm. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but I certainly rambled for five minutes. No, it's good. I think it's, it's helpful to um, to hear your definition of a cult, if, if nothing else. Um, and it's <laughs> yep. true. I mean, I, the devil might I, be a definition, uh, but that's mine. It's <laughs> good. I, yeah, there's probably an actual definition somewhere, but we're just going to go wherever the hell we think because you know it's our podcast. Um, so I think that's really interesting because I know from a being an ex-leader um, that basically you would. Um, to try and say, yeah, but, you know, we're in a position of leadership that God's put us in to be able to, you know, look after the flock, to shepherd them well, to make sure they're trained and understand, to look out for wolves and people that might lead them astray and 
always sort of language. I think it's the um, I think it's the inclusion narrative that we absolutely love. Like we need to really make sure people come in, and make sure they never leave again. Like, it's like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It really is. It's like lock the doors, lock them. That we have, we have we have a hundred people. Lock the doors, lock the doors. Keep them in. Get their money, get their time, get them to do stuff, um, and create a create a church and an environment where we can um, basically throw our weight around. I know we're going to come to this stuff. Throw 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 our weight around in the society, in the time, in the place that we're in, in, in the location we are, uh, to get the most we can to appear the most. I think so so much of it is appearances. Like how does it look? How does it sound? You know, if you look at your Instagram feed or whatever, you're going to be attracted to the photos that are going to be symbolizing the lifestyle of things that you want to have the most so i know for instance you, you dave you do a lot of drawing stuff and i look at that and uh, a lot of your drawings kind of um of like you know 40k characters from warhammer or lord of the rings or these sort of fantasy sort of characters which is and, and they're, they're absolutely amazing and um, i don't know where you've got me just lying on the sofa now um, I, was, but, I, was, um I was plugging my laptop in oh that's cool uh, but but yeah basically like it, that reminds me of my childhood. I loved 40k as a childhood. It reminds me of painting in my grandma's house. Like, you know, she passed away a couple of years ago and it's a really strong fit into that. Like, it reminds me of things. I'm like, I want that in my life again. Like, I want to be that young, naive Sam who's with his grandma painting Warhammer on Christmas Day. Like, that, that's what it reminds me of. I know it sounds weird, but but that's the truth about so many things in life is we link what we see to something that we really like and admire. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how you want to kind of enter into the, the, the church stuff and where um, we have... Well, I was about to agree with you, like the, the linking what we enjoy and like and get on board with is so linked to our memories of what it was. Like in my team of work, someone brought in party rings, you know, those little sugary biscuits they used to have when parties when you're eight years old. Yeah. And everyone was like, yay, party rings. And I went, but they're awful. <laughs> they are awful. They're terrible. They're, they're great. I was like, no, they're awful. They taste of like just solidified sugar. They're crap. The only reason you like them is because you have memories of them of being yeah. eight and having great times at parties with balloon jelly and ice cream and bouncy castles, which was amazing when you were eight, but they're crap. And the unanimous, like most people was like, yeah, actually they are, aren't they? After taking a bite, like they're great for like the first two chews. And after the first yeah. two chews, they're awful. Um, and it's, it's simple. That's what you're saying, isn't it? That when you see things, they bring back nostalgic memories of where you were before. And so I'm just completely agreeing with you. The idea that <laughs> it's, um, so much and so you you potentially looking at the way that um church works and there's this sort of desire to keep this status quo like you want you want the structure of church to be a certain way so it it brings a positive memory so people like attend and it almost is a positive memory and re reaffirmation of the thing they like so people like to be in groups of people like all societies have groups of people people gather together for parties for festivals supporting and people like being together the yep. church tick you have everyone together um people like to be told what to do like ultimately like we like rules and regulations the reason again yep. we have sports but all sports have rules and people debate the rules um and we like community we're like a bit deeper don't we we're like a family and a connection and so is your suggestion that church ultimately becomes this rolling reaffirmation of what you believe rather than something which challenges what you believe and that potentially actually links in with the very on trends, um, become, belong, believe taglines that lots of churches use. Like the model is if you can bring people in and get them to be part of the group, then they will believe in Jesus. Um, and so would your suggestion be that that very on trends way of doing church is 
Well, it's essentially what we just talked about. It's this affirmation of what people enjoy rather than actually challenging or looking at any true belief. Yeah, I... Oh, it's brutal. But I basically think... <laughs> <laughs> church is a load of... No, um, I... I strongly believe that church is created in a model and a framework which encourages people to attend. It gives people hope and it gives people a nice feeling. It gives people community and friendship. Um, and then we send them back out into the world, but we regularly meet with them. So we do it in small groups or in one-to-ones or whatever settings throughout the week with a little bit of taste of church and with the big church event on a Sunday. It happens on a Sunday because, yeah, Basically, that's when everyone's free. I mean, there, there, there are Christian reasons why it happens on Sunday as well, obviously, um, the resurrection. But it, it basically, it, it comes about being this, like, yeah, this awkward, where everyone's free, clearly. So we're going to do it on a Tuesday at 9 a.m. because everyone's going to be at work or have their kids that are taking to school or whatever. It happens for a certain time. And um, I kind of feel like it fits really well into this idea of a meme. Um, which I will just touch on very briefly. I'm not an expert. Um, it was first kind of touched upon by Richard Dawkins in his book, The Selfish Gene, and um, Susan Blackmore, um, or Blackman, one of the two. I literally forget every time. One of those two. Um, she touched on it as well very briefly um, in a couple of her books. And basically the, a, a meme, other than the internet sensation, um, is a, uh, is basically a, a way that you, um, or it's a social idea or a psychological idea or basically something within society a structure that is protecting itself so it's it, the idea is for it to replicate itself to get things and then to yeah to basically keep that going keep itself alive so if you look at your genes they are you know self um uh self-replicating they are going to you know you're going to want to have sex you're going to want to put things forward because via that you'll keep them alive basically and memes are very similar thing but it's a social idea or a psychological idea and you can see church has obviously changed since the first century when it was first started forming because society's changed and church has bended and shifted and shaped and gone with different social structures and ideas because it is a similar thing it is moldable enough for it to change and adapt the society and the social situations we find ourselves but rigid enough to give people answers to questions that society itself does not give them answers to such as purpose and meaning and all those sorts of things um and it is protective so if someone is saying something that's not okay there are there are ways to get rid of them you know and we can even create these labels like apostate that's technically what i am now i'm a apostate someone who was in a church who had a belief system who had a position and that has been taken away because i no longer believe the fundamental truths of christianity so in and of itself people will now understand that i'm questioning stuff but because i have a label of apostate they're not going to go but is sam right what is sam asking where's sam going with this what's happening because the meme or the church structure or whatever has made it so that i'm no longer a worthy candidate to have a conversation with about this stuff it's just he's doubting he's got problems how can we get him back onto christ i hope he returns to the church one day rather than what sam hits on that's made him stop believing and is that something that i need to look at as well so yeah i i massively believe that the church is a a basically a social system designed to get people and keep people and it's a classic like um, you just mentioned it uh, the tagline another great tagline that i despise but has been used at a church i used to go to is um grow glow and go wow yeah, yeah. it's pretty bad so yeah. um, but, but that literally captures it isn't it like come in grow in your understanding of who god is then glow in your understanding of who he is be telling people about him and then go out and tell the world about who god is so we can bring more people in so they can grow go and glow grow glow and go but one of them um 
And it's this really like, it's, it's a clear framework. And Matthew 28, right? It's where it's the Great Commission. Jesus says, go to all the nations that, and I will forever be with you to the very ends of the earth. Something like that. Another paraphrase and terrible at paraphrasing. Um, and it's this like, it, it is a self-protective mechanism that stops people from getting happy where they are and the church dying. And the church you see doing really, really well are doing really well evangelistically. The church you see dying are the churches that aren't doing evangelism well because they aren't getting anyone in because no one has this desire within their hearts to go to church because God's real. You get sucked in or dragged in through people, through a coffee afternoon, through a tots group, through a mums group, through an art workshop, whatever it is, you'll get sucked into a church and they'll pull you in. You'll get involved. That's why we have food banks at churches. And that's why we have different sorts of centers at churches, you know, that help with kind of, you know, jobs or whatever, like different things that we put on to help people come to churches because if we get people through the door, we can get people stuck because it's a meme and it's a system that will get people stuck. Which is, uh, well, it's a very interesting way of looking at it. And I don't think really I dark. No, I'm, unfortunately, I, I don't think I, I don't disagree with you. Um, from my experience of being in churches, like the whole narrative is get people in, bring your friends, invite people, but invite them to specific services like Christmas, like Christmas is coming up. Um, there's a great YouTube video of pastors at Easter time. It's just someone commentating on what they're like. And it is just true, this idea that this is the time when people might come. So let's take every opportunity to get them to stay. Um, which again, doesn't actually fit with the use of Matthew 28, but that's not Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is mm. go out, but the church model is bring them in. And that's not what it says you know the whole again we talked about right at the beginning of the mirroring the bible and, and church and uh, it's when we we've talked about this before i realized but paul with that book um paul by nt wright like i'd never realized before that paul was i always saw him in glowing terms but ultimately he was just a laborer who journeyed around the middle east chatting with the lads while working on site and telling them about jesus that was the way he did it and yeah he'd get a few people together and that would be a church and they'd meet in someone's house or wherever they could or whatever day they could. Um, and there'd be a handful of them, wouldn't they? They'd just be in a workshop or someone's house, which is often the same thing. Yep. Um, and then they would also tell their mates and it wouldn't be this come into our place. It wasn't until Christianity was legalized and the idea you could have a place become a thing. It was go out and tell people. And that's very different to what we see in church. Um, and... Yeah, I think the, the way that we now have churches, which I, I would agree with you, is this self-perpetuating institution which needs to keep going. So you need, you have a building, therefore you need to maintain the building, and therefore you need people to come and pay money to keep the lights on. And then lots of people, if you're doing well, come, but then you're too many people, so you have to get a new building. So you have to have a drive to get a new building, so you need more people to bring more money to keep going and then you get a bigger building and then you do the same it repeats and repeats and repeats until something fails either fails because not many people come anymore or there's a problem uh, bill hybels great church in people's eyes for years and years and years oh no he has been taking advantage of women saying about the adaptability of church is really true isn't it because if you look at the way that church has worked throughout history and the thing it appeals to in people changes i mean we only have to look at church in the last 30 40 years to see the difference so you had billy graham's crusades where you are a sinner and you know you're bad come and get 
like it's kind of ticket to heaven stuff isn't it it's like you're yeah. bad come to the front you cut to coat heaven and that was very much you, you've just come out of the second world war you're still in the midst of the cold war you've got this very much understanding that humanity is deeply flawed and like because yeah. we've, we've seen evil we've seen hitler we've seen stalin humanity is evil we can see it there's been wars and death and destruction like this we sometimes forget because the distance now how utterly devastating the second world war was like everyone yeah. had lost relatives because millions of people died and everyone knew someone who was in this and that and but we've distanced from that now in the west we're peaceful we're like Britain hasn't experienced any form of homosexual conflict since the Second World War. But then that changes, doesn't it? Because you had Jesus Lord and King. He rules the world, all this evil, he rules it. And is now moving into you are special, you are important, you are an individual, and God cares just for you. If you were the only person left, he would come just for you. He died on the cross. Just oh, gosh, yeah. you, you have a purpose and a calling. You are unique and special. And this language is no different to L'Oreal. L'Oreal, because you are one. <laughs> like, it's the same language, but it's used by the church. I love L'Oreal. <laughs> um, and so, but you're right. Like, it's interesting how the church adapts itself. And so you only have to look at the sermons, the talks to churches. You only have to do some YouTubing of big churches in America or England. And the talks are not Billy Graham, Sin and Hell. Talks are purpose and drive. You are yep. unique. You have a calling. What is your purpose? What is God calling you to do? And then that links in with the bringing people into a friendly, lovely environment. Before it was let people know that they are faulty. Now it is explain to people how good they are. And it's it's using the same book, the same structures, but it's changing them. Let's have let's have a coffee shop, not an altar. Let's have yep. um, let's have fantastic music and all these sort of things and. Um, and it adapts and changes, doesn't it? Let's have youth meetings with dancing and phone parties and lasers because that's what Jesus would have wanted. Um, it's in the Bible. He loved his phone. He loved his phone. Yeah, he loved his phone parties. Um, but uh, I just find that very interesting. As uh, I, what you said there, it's really looking at it. It's true, isn't it? This and now it's very much helping the community, bringing people together into small communities to get them to belong. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so I unfortunately can't really disagree with you and your what could be saying is very negative and pessimistic look on church. But um, from my experience of it, it's the, the mixed with the whole you can't doubt. You're not allowed to ask questions. Um, if you ask questions, then you're not going to be able to move up in the success measures. There is a very apparent hierarchy and success stream in church. And that's yep. it's, it's like kind of like a pyramid scheme kind of. I find yeah. it really funny that you get like super famous Christians. So Joyce Mayer for example, and yeah. the church I used to go to, Joyce Mayer came and spoke maybe 10 years ago, and like people queued for hours to see her speak. Mind blow. But nobody, if she walked into the main town, no one would know who she is. And we have this desire to like be these people who nobody outside uh, gives a crap about. Like, And, and this is... That's go on, you, found, you finished, mate. That's right. Okay, I was going to say, um, it, it, it just it just stinks of the things that we desire in life. So like even social media, like we are consistently wanting to get high numbers, more friends, more followers on Instagram, more followers on Twitter, LinkedIn profiles, connect to more people, more people subscribing to YouTube. Like we, there's desire for more, more, more with our finances, with our money. Like, Oh, if only I had an extra hundred pounds a month, I could pay off the mortgage in five years less or whatever. And then I could accumulate more and get more and do more. And it's just, essentially complete idea of getting more doing more like our entire social structure outside of christianity in terms of our politics and everything is all based on 
getting somewhere, basically going somewhere, consistently rolling in. And I know we talked a little bit about um, Sapiens before uh, the book and how in there he makes it really feel like I, I literally learned in that book that um, basically for us to lend um, 900 pounds to somebody, we have to have, or a thousand pounds to somebody, we have to have a hundred pounds in the bank. So you'd have to have to have 10%. Anything you give out has to be locked away somewhere. And if you were, if everyone in the world was going to withdraw their money all at the same time, the banking system would collapse because we only actually have literally 10% of what is available in people's banks accounts, uh, bank accounts. Well, that's just, that's mind blowing. But that's the way society is. Like we all, our pensions are invested in stocks and shares because we believe that they will continue to grow and the stock market will keep going up and all this sort of stuff. Um, Everything in society says go, 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 grow, get it, do it, push it further. Let's keep pushing things to the limit. And then we look at our, our church systems. It's the same thing that like we all want to be. These people you talk about, Joyce Mayer or Stephen Furtick or Glenn Barrett or whoever it is. And not that I'm saying this, as we said at the beginning, these people aren't wrong in terms of like I'm not saying I'm judging them for what they do. All I'm saying is we do want to be them. I know when I was a Christian, I wanted to be like a, a great communicator like Stephen Furtick where I'm able to get on stage with my rippling biceps and my awesome abs and like my massive house and talk about God in a really cool, with a t-shirt folded up to the top sort of way with like sneakers on that look absolutely sick with a great microphone and present myself in a way. It's true though. I'm, I'm not lying. Here. It's true. Like present myself in a way that was clear that Sam was successful. He was clever. He's an amazing communicator, massively talented and blessed by God um, that he's able to deliver stuff in such a cool down to earth, great way. And it's because that is what is attractive. And it comes back to the whole Instagram thing I mentioned with you before, like we like seeing things that are attractive to us and we have evolved ourselves, adapted ourselves in ways that are, are attractive. Like I believe that, you know, people, for instance, eyes, people find eyes really um, interesting. My, my wife, she's smiling away with me. Uh, we are, the, the way the way someone's eyes is like, why are you talking about eyes? Um, the way someone's eyes have evolved is is attractive. Like we look for people's, how their people's, people's dilate when they're talking and thinking and stuff and how we look and where we look and how we function. Like these things are attractive to us. And that's what we see within our churches. We see very, very similar things where we're trying to find things that are attractive and things that look like there is success. Because let's be honest, if a pool of water is still, it stagnates. We want to see it growing or at least moving in some direction. Um, that's my two pence worth. <laughs> Your two pence, like fifteen pounds worth. Yeah. Um, so, would you? So, to summarise, then your your thoughts on this is that um, church structures are essentially um, appealing to and adhere to the social norm of the time, whatever that is. This desire currently to see growth and success and wealth and churches hook onto that idea so the idea of um growing numbers is good um, growing attendance is good um, more money coming through the coffers is positive um as opposed to say the health of the church or how people are doing or do they actually believe or do they really know what they believe um you would say that churches focus on the thing that makes them most successful not necessarily what makes them most healthy or efficient or i i would i would say so i think it'd be important to to probably with the next episode to look at you know um acts 2 42 and and i think that's the next episode look at what it says and look at what we see today because i think the early church had something that we have lost and i'm not saying that they were right but that it was different right it was different to how we are now and what we think now is i i, I know what i just said i just said we need to grow and get more money and do more because then we are in a better position to release people to give more money to bring more people in to show people but why are we doing those things because they need to be saved safe from what 
And then the composition blows up, I would say, save for something made up by the thing that's trying to save it. So sin being a made up thing so that we can be freed from sin by God who made it up to start with. It's just a really weird concept in my head. But we we have this desire to do more in church because we think it's what we're called to do. So I'm not having a go at these people. But I do think they are mechanisms and frameworks that enable us to grow, like eventually, right? Someone has 700 people attending church. You can have five full-time members of, of staff. You can have loads of volunteers because there's people who are paid members of staff. There are people who want to go because there's 700 people in the church. You're going to be able to afford a great church building with a band that know they look great because they're playing to 700 people who people can communicate in front of large crowds. You can have great AV. You can, do you know what I mean? Like everything's the next level because it's more effective and you're talking to a bigger audience. So people are going to walk away and go, isn't Sam such a great communicator? Or, oh man, Sam's first preacher's sunk. Like he needs to learn this, this, and this. You need to get him on stage. They should have started him with the kids' work or they should have started him with a small group or something. I mean, they let him go on stage straight away. Um, because that's what we want. We don't want real honest conversations and we don't want real questions and real answers. We want to have a set framework and set mechanic to tell people what they already know because that's what they want to hear um yeah i mean just at one point i completely agree with you and i think it's really funny isn't it really funny that they try people out on the kids first <laughs> like, that sounds weird when you say it like that of course it sounds weird but it is weird like yeah, i know what you mean it weird. sounds pedophilic it's not meant to be um it what <laughs> i mean by that is like we the idea that the most like it's all right to just chuck people to have a go at talking to the kids or to lead the kids or like youth is fine you become a kids leader then a youth leader then a proper leader it's like there's some sort of like proper leader yeah like i know you're not a proper leader yet you're a youth leader like that's just so odd like think how valuable children are like and how like denigrating that is to kids why are they separate why do they go to separate meetings how weird is that anyway um so yeah next time talking a bit more specific about yeah comparing the reality to acts 242 um and how yeah it talks about the believers having everything in common and sharing common fellowship and giving to each other and laying everything down for one another and then comparing that to what we see now um and then you're know, raising questions about that and how that actually outworks and why is it that the one of the only true descriptions of the church in the bible because there is there's only a couple of actual descriptions of what the church looks like is yeah. something that ultimately really reflects what we live in now or have lived in for 2000 years like that description of the church doesn't fit hardly any church historically it's not no, just, a just the beginning problem. you only have to look at any point in church history and say oh does it fit acts 242 and the answer is generally no <laughs> which is really it's really sad actually because that whole section is profound i i find that inspirational and significant in a way that just reading that verse I personally found that much more significant than being in a room full of thousands of people listening to a hill song. <laughs>